You're listening to Rockland Community Church, connecting all generations to Jesus. Luke 9, verses 51 through 62. When the days drew near for him, Jesus, to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set upon Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from the heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. The word of the Lord. Well, I want to start out and just ask, when is the last time you really thought about the core values of your life? The underlying core values of your life, the things that are so deeply embedded in your heart, mind, soul, spirit, whatever, that that's just, it it governs the actions that come out of you. Or you could think of it like this. um, What, if you were punished, persecuted, or rejected for it, would you still believe? What, if you were punished, persecuted, or rejected for it, would you still believe? So I, I have a strong conviction with my kids. I want them to love Jesus. I want them to love his church, and I want them to marry well. Love Jesus, love his church, marry well. That's what I want for my kids. Um, We're doing college visits right now. I'm gonna let everybody know a little secret. I don't really care that much which college she goes to. That's not the most important thing. I do care, but not a lot. There's a lot of good options. Or I think of, um, you know, if my kids, uh, uh, say my kids are with another kid and they get ostracized from that family because one of them was standing for their faith. And so we're, say we're good family friends, and, but now there's something between the kids and now that trickles up. And so now it's me and Nikki, and we're like, well, we can't hang out with that family anymore, I guess, because they're, they're pushing us away. I would still go, way to go. I would still, I wouldn't change what I believe because I want my kids to just be able to stand in the cyclone, so to speak, of what's happening with everything swirling around them. And so I would go, that's, you know, as far, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with everyone. If they're rejecting us and pushing them away, I would still say, but I still hold this belief, even though it's difficult. Because we really, we live in light of these core values, but we rarely stop to actually think, what are the most important values? What are the things that are just deep down 
within me? And what should it be? And then how do we actually live it out? And that's what Jesus told his disciples and what he tells us today as well. And I'll just give away the whole thing. Here it is, that Jesus is telling his disciples, follow me first and follow me now. Follow me first above everything else and don't delay, follow me now. So Jesus is trying to show what it means to be a follower of his. And if we're going to say that we're followers of Jesus, then we have to follow in the way that he tells us to follow. That would be very ironic to say, I'm gonna follow you. Okay, well, step one, here's how you follow me. Nah, I'm not gonna do that. Like um, kids, go, when you go to college, when your professor starts handing out a syllabus to you, do this, type up your own syllabus, Okay, and then as he's passing his out, you come up and go, I got one over here too of what I'm gonna do and start passing it out and see what your grade is at the end of the semester. That ain't gonna be good. Actually, don't do that. It won't be good, right? We follow in the way that we're called to follow. And what you'll see here in a minute is in just these little six verses, we see the word follow three times and then he has the word first twice. This is the biggest turning point in the life of Jesus from his northern Galilean ministry and now he's heading to Jerusalem and ultimately the cross. Verse 51, when the days grew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. See the resolve in what he's saying, that's, that's where he is headed. Nothing's gonna stop him from going there, being betrayed, dying on the cross, rising from the grave. And it says, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people, the Samaritans, did not receive him. And notice the reason. Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Now you might think, well, the Samaritans didn't, uh, didn't accept him because he was kind of a firebrand in the culture and he was, you know, he was a, a magnet for controversy. And so we, we don't want any of that here, Jesus. Or we just so strongly disagree with you, Jesus, or, or Jesus has hurt them somehow or something. But the reason that they reject him is it says because his face was set towards Jerusalem. So here's what that means. It may give some cultural context here to help make it um, make it make a little more sense. Um, you have the Jews and the Samaritans closely related, <coughs> excuse me, and living near each other. And um, the Samaritans worshipped on a place called Mount Gerizim on this one mountain. And then the Israel, the the Jews, the Israelites worshipped in Jerusalem. And so if you remember, there's um, the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, and she asked Jesus a question, and she says, well, your people say that we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. My people say we worship on Mount Gerizim. Which one is right? And it was a big point of controversy, and the Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other, and that was the central issue, is the Samaritans were saying, we worship God like this. The Jews are saying, we worship God like this. And so there was a lot of tension between them. There's uh, armed violence between these two groups at times. Jewish pilgrims would travel through Samaria on their way to Jerusalem. They'd be met with an angry response. This is why the parable of the Good Samaritan is a big deal. You have this Jewish person there and then the priest and the rabbi. These other people walk by that like should be nice. And then <gasps> the Samaritan walks by when Jesus is trying to teach them who your neighbor is. The Samaritan. They did not like each other. So the last thing that they wanted to do was to help a Jewish person get down to Jerusalem to worship. And so because Jesus had said, I am going to Jerusalem, they said, then we want nothing to do with you. That's what's happening here. So he's rejected. He goes to Jerusalem and in and around Jerusalem, he is rejected and rejected and rejected. He was putting himself in mortal danger as he walked into Jerusalem. They betrayed him with a kiss. 
Uh, the disciples fled from him. The people in, his, in Jerusalem plotted against him. The, uh, he's arrested by the temple police, abused by soldiers. The only person who can actually say, I was perfectly innocent, goes to trial and they declare him guilty. Talk about injustice. Talk about rejection by people. That's what's happening. And so he's rejected by the Samaritans. He's headed to go be rejected even in Jerusalem. He knows where he's going. And then it says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Matthew's gospel says it was scribes, so these experts in the Jewish law. And he even adds, um, he says, teacher, I will follow you wherever you must go or wherever you will go. And Jesus is gonna give him a little bit of a rebuke. And I think one of the reasons is, um, to just call Jesus teacher is, is downgrading what he actually wants to be. He, he does teach. He, he, he does instruct. There's, there's guidance that we have. There's no question. And as they're following him, that's what they would do is, that, is he would share this wisdom and they would walk behind him and they would walk with him. But that's not all he was. And in fact, you could say in that day to not have a teacher was kind of humiliating, but to have a rabbi, to have a teacher that you would walk with was um, you'd kind of be esteemed in many instances. And so there's some people, maybe even people here, but definitely back then too, that wanted Jesus to be the teacher. Just tell me some things I can do to maybe have a better life. Tell me some good morality that I could have, things like that. Um, but what he's doing is he's saying, I'm not just teacher. I am God in the flesh. I am King of kings and Lord of lords. He is more than a teacher. And so what he says is, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It's fine, you can follow me, but here's how you do it. You don't pass out your own syllabus and decide. You follow me and you might be homeless. You might not know where your next meal is coming from. That's what he's telling them. And to us, he's saying, you follow me and it may be a life of great sacrifice. And you know, we look at this and we go, well, this sounds ludicrous because it's not a sin to have a nice home. It's not a sin to have food and know where your next meal is coming from. So why is Jesus, why does he sort of respond like that? And he's saying, just be ready to sacrifice to follow me. Charles Stanley says this. He says, the conversation that followed could have gone something like this. First, you asked me to leave my business and my family to follow and learn from you. Now you're telling me that you're going to die and I have to deny myself and follow in your steps. Don't you think that's asking a bit much? And I think Jesus would say, no, that's normal. It's interesting that if you think about the whole nature of it, Jesus is saying, follow me in rejection and death, if that's what, it's called, if that's what it comes to better than him standing on the sideline and going, you guys should really follow this little path I've laid out. You guys go and you'll probably be rejected and you will probably die. Go ahead. This is Jesus, the innocent one, walking and saying, follow me. I am going to go and I am going to be rejected. That the world that I have created is going to hate me. Follow me. The fact that Jesus did it first is the fuel that we have to say we can follow after him. If he was just a pointer like that and saying, just do this, that's difficult. But to go, Jesus went first and said, follow me. I've said it like this before, that I would rather be faithful to God and live in a ditch on the side of the road somewhere 
than be unfaithful and live in some mansion up on the hill. I'd rather be faithful to God and have a faithful remnant of a church that shrinks to the size that can meet around my little table in my office than be unfaithful and our church takes up 10 city blocks. He's calling us to faithfulness. That's what it means to follow him. And then there's two more interactions. I think they're basically, some people spread them, uh, um, uh, split them up. I think that it is, um, I think it's probably the same issue he's dealing with with both guys. So watch. It says, to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said, lead the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Not the response we would have expected from Jesus, huh? I need to go bury a loved one. And he goes, let the dead bury their own dead. You follow me and proclaim the kingdom. Like if, if, if you didn't know this and I'd written it out and someone made the request and then I said, what do you think Jesus said next? Zero of you would have guessed that. I would not have guessed that Jesus would say that. It sounds pretty insensitive. So what's happening here? Well, Jesus is not insensitive. Here is more than likely what's happening. The man says, first, let me go bury my father. And he could pull out the like, hey, this is 10 commandments. Honor your mother and father. Look, I'm just doing what I'm supposed to do, right? Like there's a little justification for it here that I'm gonna go be a good son. Here's what's happening. We read this and we picture um, like the father has just passed and so the son wants to go and bury him real quick and then he's gonna go follow Jesus. That is more than likely not what's happened. What has more than likely happened in that culture, um, you would sit, when someone passed, you would sit in mourning with them for 24 hours, usually 24 hours, before you would actually bury the body. But the family would stay together. And so this man is, probably doesn't have a father who has just passed at the house, because otherwise he would be sitting at the home and not out wandering around finding Jesus. Okay, so probably what's happening here is the father is his health is poor and he might pass it any day and the son is saying, let me stay home and as soon as that happens, then I'll follow you. All right, so, so hear it again with that. Let me first go bury my own father, meaning um, I'm gonna go back with my family and wait till my dad passes and then I'll bury him and then I'll follow you. It's the good old um, someday Just after this little phase of life, Jesus, then I will follow you. After, I'm not in middle school, after I'm in high school. After I'm in high school, when I'm in college. After college, when I'm a young adult. Then I'll start, you know what? When we have kids, then I will start to do it. It's after this phase. After we're empty nesters. After uh, our job situation calms down. After this health situation, um, you know, kind of goes away. Then we'll do it. And Jesus is saying, follow me and follow me now. Follow me first, follow me now. And then another guy comes up and he gives actually biblical backup for what he's going to do too. Yet another said, I will follow you. But first, let me say farewell to those at my home. And Jesus said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You know what's happening here? He's actually using, there's, um, there's a passage in 1 Kings 19 where um, you have Elijah and Elisha. And Elijah goes and commissions Elisha and says, follow me. And Elisha says, I will, but I'm gonna go home and say goodbye to my family first. And Elijah says, that's fine. And he lets him go home, say goodbye to his family, and then he comes and follows him. So this guy comes to Jesus and says, I'm gonna go and I'm gonna say goodbye to my family first. 
And in the back of his mind, it's probably like, aha, like Elijah and Elisha. And then so Jesus's response, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. There's a difference. This story of Elijah and Elisha is he is saying, I'm going to go say bye and then I'm with you. And what Jesus perceives in this guy is that he is gonna be a guy who is plowing, who's following, but is also kind of turned and looked back, looking back at his family. In other words, he's not fully abandoning what's behind to follow Christ. So the other examples of this in the Old Testament, um, Lot's wife turns and looks back. She turns into a pillar of salt. Um, the Israelites, they're in slavery in Egypt and then they're out wandering in the wilderness and it says they turned and looked back. They longed for the days. They said it was better when we were slaves because right now we're wandering and this is miserable. They longed to go back. They weren't following and trusting. They were turning and looking. And so Jesus gives this brilliant um, illustration of plowing and turning and looking the other way. You ever been in the car with a teenager learning to drive? And they're driving, and it might be a, I'm going to turn and check out this lane over here. And as they turn to check out the lane, the wheel kind of does a little bit of this action, right? And they're like, oh, I'm already in the lane. That was, that was great, right? I have a very good driver, by the way. She's really good. But I've talked to many parents. Um, so, so that's what he's talking about. Like if you're, if you're going and you're kind of looking like this, what's going to happen is your body will just sort of turn like that. And all of a sudden, you're not following anymore. You know what, um, what uh, Elisha was doing when Elijah called him? He was plowing. It's like Jesus was going, yeah, I know that story too. Nice try. Don't look back, look ahead. He's saying, follow me first. Don't hesitate, follow me now. So I'd ask you to just consider what's first in your life. Maybe it's a need to say, I need to reorient my very core values to say Christ is at the top. He hasn't been, family has been, or my education has been, or whatever it is, but, but Christ needs to be at the top. If you were um, punished, persecuted, or rejected for it, would you still believe? Man, I wanna be the Christian that's the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego that they go, do you believe in God? Well, you're going in the fiery furnace. And I go, well, okay. Here I go, because it's that important and that precious to me. So you can do some self-evaluation and really think about like, what are the conversations around the dinner table? That can usually be a reflection of core values and top priorities. What about um, our friends? I can probably look at somebody's friend group and give a really good prediction of what their life will look like years down the line. What about our kids' schedules? I've got, I love when I get, I get to go talk to like, like mops groups or something like young moms or young dads and I'll start sharing about like your kids' schedules and you know, put up boundaries and things like that now and they're usually looking at me like, okay, we'll do that, thanks. I'll try and pocket that away for six years when they, you know, they can walk and stuff. Then I'll start to think about that. And what I'm telling them is no, 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 no. Decide right now. Because once you get in the rhythm of it where it's just like, you know, nine nights a week, they've got baseball or they've got dance or whatever it is, they've got all these things. And all of a sudden you just start looking and you just go, we just got so busy, so busy, so busy. Instead of deciding up front what matters most, what makes you lay awake at night? It's usually a pretty good indication of what you value. Is it 
closing that deal? Is it um, that stock market going up or down? Is it that, um, that relationship that you want to go a certain way? Or is it that hellbound neighbor that lives down the road from you, that they would be saved by Jesus Christ? If there's a condition in you that would say, my faith is held back because I value this more than Christ, name it. Name what it is. Charles Stanley says this. I'm gonna quote him again here. When it comes to obeying God, our only response is, I will or I won't. It's tempting to say, I will, but, as some of Jesus's would-be disciples did, but that's a roundabout way of saying no. Followers remain faithful to the Lord's plan, whether doing so is easy or hard. Not only that, but they proclaim him in both blessing and calamity, and they follow him even when they are uncertain where he is leading. I love that, <coughs> excuse me, that Jesus doesn't hide from the fact that being a Christian can be difficult in the secular world. He doesn't hide from that. He announces it, he declares it, he demonstrates it, he lives it so we can know as, we, as we're living our lives. And so I'm gonna ask you today, the, a very simple thing is if we're going, okay, I got it. How do I, make, how do I make that my top priority? How is my core value? I would die for this gospel message of Jesus Christ. How do we elevate that to where it needs to be? And there's an old, I don't know where this comes from, but the, um, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. I don't know if that's really like offensive or something. I don't know. And we need to update our sayings, I think. But I've heard that and it makes sense. So um, how do you eat an elephant? One bite at a time. And most of what we have in our life is a bunch of elephants, a bunch of big things. Hey, make Jesus Christ your top priority. Uh, okay, where do I begin? One bite at a time. One little step. Or there's a, a great little book about, it's productivity and it's how the gospel message impacts productivity. And the title of it is simply the question I'll ask you today, which is what's best next? What's best next? In the moment where you are to say, what is best? What has God called me to do? What would he have me do? Even if it doesn't seem like it's super efficient, even if it seems like I could do other things and I could be more productive, what is God calling me to do? And I'm just going to do it now. That's the step that we take because it is, it's difficult. Peter Drucker is a management guru and he says it like this. He says, there's nothing less productive than to make more efficient what should not be done at all. <laughs> We're good at being efficient in all these other areas and prioritizing. But at the end of the day, we answer to the Lord. It would be like if I'm a sales rep and someone comes to me and says, hey, Jim, this is our biggest client. They, they account for 50% of our, of our income and they are not happy. And there's, the, there, there's a, a wounded relationship. We need you, for some reason, me, to fix this thing. Here's all the information that you need. Go ahead and fix it. And I go, okay, I got it. I'll, I'll give them a call. And I go, they have 50% of, okay, I got it, 50%. <coughs> Excuse me. And so I look and I go, whew, this is gonna take a million conversations. I might need to travel out there. I need to do some research. All the different things you gotta do. Imagine if, Say a month later, boss comes by my desk and goes, hey, how's that going with that customer? And I go, it is the very next thing that I was going to do. Look, I cleaned my entire desk. I was out of staples and I finally just went and got new staples and put the staples in. My name was misspelled up here and I got it and I went and I printed out another one and I put it up there. My inbox is down to zero now. He would go, great. I don't care. 
you lost the first thing, the most important thing. So we need to keep asking the question, what's best next? Maybe if you're thinking I need to reconcile with my, my grown children somewhere, if there's animosity or any kind of relationship and you might just go, it's just, it's just too daunting, I just can't do it. What's best next? I bet you could go, go home today, spend a little time in prayer and write a letter and stick it in the mail, just letting them know you love them. One little step. Or, you know, I don't really know the Bible. I need to learn the Bible. That can just feel like this huge task. Maybe it's just as simple as going home and just Googling a reading plan, picking which Bible at my house am I gonna have, and I'm gonna go set it on my nightstand and put my reading plan next to it. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's the step that God is calling you to do. Or maybe it's something deeper. Maybe it's something in your life that you know you just have a grip on it, and you are hoping no one finds out about it. And um, God knows, and you know it's holding you back, but boy, you just want this more than you want him. And so oftentimes we go, well, this is a real struggle for me. And we keep it private and we keep it quiet. And I'm gonna encourage you to not use the word struggle, but to say, this is a sin in my life. This is something I'm not really struggling with. It's winning. This is where I need help. And it could be as simple as tonight, I will go home, I will be on my knees and I will say those words to God. And that's it. And then maybe it's like if you're married, then you share specifically with your spouse or a good friend or something like that. And then it could be, I'm gonna share that with my life group or some really close friends. But before you do anything else, what is the next step? What's best next? Follow Christ first and follow him now. We have some, um, some friends that um, got, some bad, uh, got some bad medical news um, we, our kids go to Faith Christian, and they got some, they got some yucky medical news. And uh, he, um, she had something on her hip, and it got removed. And I, I talked to him just the other day. Um, that's fine, but there's like four more tumors that have grown, and they're not sure exactly what's happening, and it's pretty rare. And he is there uh, in the doctor's office. And the doctor's telling him all these different things they could do. He's got one, his girl's about to graduate. He's got a boy that's a sophomore, about to be a junior, so close to graduation as well. And, um, and talking to the doctor, and he said, there's a chance that if you move to lower elevation, it might help, but we're not really sure, to be honest. He decided instantly that they're gonna move. Why? Because his core value is I'm called by God to die for my wife if necessary. For me to have to move my kids or one of them that has two years left, for me to have to move from the state that I've been in for most of my life, for me to go to Florida. They've already had some business challenges. He's got his own business. How does that work? How are you gonna transfer that? How's that all gonna work? And he's, I don't know. But I'm following God and this is what I do. I'll figure that other stuff out. But he had his priorities first. That's how we're to be in following Christ. Follow him first and follow him now.